My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. I'm coming to you from the Hickson campus of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we'd love to have you come and visit us. But if you're not in the area, please go to OurSundaySchool.com to see all of the resources we saw in class. Good morning, everybody. All right, if you got your Bibles, open up to 2 Peter. 2 Peter. Today is week one of a new series. I love new series. If you are uh, a digital person and you want to follow along with us uh, online, uh, you can see all the notes that I'm teaching from this morning. Go to OurSundaySchool.com. Click on the Read tab, and our current Sunday School series information is on the left. Uh, the T's are my teacher notes, so that's our uh, website if you want to go there. And if you're having trouble finding Second Peter, let's talk about where Second Peter is. So Old Testament's on the left, New Testament's on the right. In the New Testament, you have the Gospels, the Acts, the history there, the, the letters, these big, long section of letters in the apocalyptic literature at the end, Revelation. Uh, the letters are split up into two different parts. Uh, Paul's letters from Romans to uh, Philemon, and then the general epistles that are not really addressed to a specific person or church from Hebrews to Jude. And Second Peter's in the middle of that uh, section there on the general epistles. Now, at this point, you should very easily know the answer to the next question that I'm going to ask. And the next question I'm going to ask is, what is Second Peter about? So what's Second Peter about? How do we find the answer to that question, Tim? Read it. We read it. That's exactly right. So guess what we're going to do? <clears throat> we're going to read it. Yes, all three chapters. And yes, it will be good. And if you want to listen while I read, that is great. If you need to uh, follow along uh, in your copy of the scripture, feel free to do that. Uh, I'm reading out of the New King James this morning. So uh, if yours is different, that may be a challenge. If it's not, then that's okay too. So Second Peter. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which we have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and is forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that 
you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice, which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. But there are also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood of the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, for that righteous man, dwelling among them, tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lusts of uncleanness and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels, who are greater in power and might, do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. But these, like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they do not understand, and will utterly perish in their own corruption, and will receive the wages of unrighteousness, as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They have a trained heart in covetous practices and are accursed children. They have forsaken the right way and have gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Baor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds carried by a tempest, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. For when they speak great and swelling words of emptiness, they, all, they allure through the lusts of this flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also is he bought into bondage. For if, after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow, having washed, to her wallowing in the mire. Beloved, 
I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in the holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless, and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. Does anybody know when this was written? Let me ask you a simple question. At the beginning of Peter's life or at the end? The end, the end right? Does it sound like he got rid of his bluntness? <laughs> Some things never change. And that worked out well. Now, uh, we'll start, if you look at your handout there, uh, so we've answered the question, where is Second Peter in the Bible? We just read the letter to see what Second Peter is about. Uh, but there's another question there, and it's, who was Peter? Uh, and unless you've been living under a rock, you probably know who Peter is. Yeah, sorry. Wait for it. Just, if you're wondering why everyone's groaning, just wait for it. So who was Peter? Well, he started out in the Bible being what? Anybody remember? He was a fisherman. That's exactly right, Luke. Luke actually describes that, which is interesting. Uh, he was a fisherman. He was chosen by Jesus to be one of the original 12 apostles. Um, he was part of Jesus' inner circle. He was actually listed first, right? Peter, James, and John. Um, if you look at the lists of the apostles, he's, he's number one. 
And after Jesus' resurrection, he's the one that preached at Pentecost and had the 3,000 people come to know Christ. He was one of the central leaders of the early church. The first half of the book of Acts is all about Peter. Second half is about Paul. Luke put Peter first. Like, that's incredible. Church history says that Peter was martyred by Nero on an inverted cross, supposedly because he did not consider himself worthy to be crucified in the same manner as Jesus. He wrote two epistles that are part of our Bible, and the Roman Catholic Church thinks that he was the first pope. It is an impressive resume. <laughs> like, if you, if you put this on a resume and then submitted this for a job, it feels like you're a, a sure win. Right? It's incredible. And who does he spend in his second letter, in his last letter, and what we believe were his very last words before he died that were written down for the church, who does he talk about? Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That is beautiful. At the end of his life, he was pointing people to Jesus. So you might ask the question, where was Peter? Where did he write? Who did he write to? Um, we're not exactly sure where he was when he wrote this. We think he was in Rome because that's where we think that he was kind of uh, under uh, guard and under watch. Uh, and it's likely that he wrote this from Rome. And who was this letter addressed to? Did you, back at the beginning, who was it addressed to? What church? Yeah, so those who have like precious faith. So where's that church? Yes, right? <laughs> it's kind of, kind of all over the place. I, I would make a strong argument that the church is in this room too. Which that's very encouraging. We'll talk a little bit about that. So when was Second Peter written? And I've got a couple uh, notes there from the ESV Study Bible. Um, the asterisks are the, the estimated uh, numbers here. But we think he becomes a disciple of Jesus right when Jesus comes on the scene in 2830 A.D. Preaches at Pentecost. Uh, he's imprisoned by Agrippa in the early 40s. Uh, leaves Jerusalem in the mid-40s. Goes to Rome in the early 50s. Nero, who actually is a significant figure in the first century, uh, comes to power in the mid-50s, reigns till 68. Uh, at the end of that period, he writes his first letter. There's a fire in Rome in 64 A.D. And uh, Nero blames the Christians. So he decides to light the Christians on fire in response. And these are the, um, the horrific, horrific stories that you hear from ancient history about uh, he, he would have these parties and he'd had stakes driven into the ground and he would set Christians, he would dip them in oil and he would set them on these stakes and they would burn. And the burning bodies of Christians would light the night for Nero's parties. I mean, just horrible horrible, horrible human being. Uh, and after he wrote this second letter, uh, we believe that Peter is actually martyred under Nero's reign. So if Peter died sometime in the mid to late 60s, we think this epistle was written sometime in the mid 60s. So it kind of gives you an idea. So about 30 years-ish after Jesus leaves the scene. Enough time for another generation to rise up so that Peter would have been the old man in the church. Right? This is him looking back. This is him talking to the people who are alive, many of which would have never seen Jesus with their own eyes that would have actually gotten a copy of this letter. Or if they did, they would have been extremely small. So this is the mindset of Peter as he goes and he, he writes this letter. 
Now, there's one more question on your handout there. Uh, you see, what about Second Peter's canonicity? All right, so let's talk about canonicity for a second. So the, the books of the Bible, this is the canon. All right, and the canon uh, is simply just things that, are, that we know are God's word. Okay? So I want to dispel one rumor or myth about the canon. Uh, the canon was not decided by men. Okay? The canon was decided by God. And the Holy Spirit guided men to make right decisions about the books that were selected to be in this book. But God chose the books. So let's make sure we understand there's a, there's a big difference between, well, there was a church council and there was a vote and that determined what was the Bible. Oh, oh, please do not mischaracterize Scripture that way. Don't, don't tell history like that, because if you told that to any of those men who were at that church council, they would have all raised their hand and said, no, no, that's not what we just did. We just affirmed that this is what God had chosen for us. And if you read about the canonicity, the worthiness of Second Peter to be included in our, our copy of the Bible, what you will find uh, is, and the best analogy I can give you is Michael Phelps and Katie Ledecky. Now, did any of you swim in high school or in college or participate in any swimming meets of any sort? Anybody in the room? All right, so I got Tim. Anybody else? Here, here, here. Great. So do you guys know who Michael Phelps is? Yes, the guy with like nine-foot arms who does this. this I, like my arms don't even work that way. I can't even clap back that way. Uh, and Katie Ledecky? You know Katie Ledecky? Like stamina for days in a pool. All right, so everybody, so if you just stand up for me, if you swam in high school or in college or any type of uh, competition, just stand up real quick. All right, so we've got three, which is awesome. Well done. Excellent. It was so difficult, right? Uh, so, so let me ask each of you a question. So if you got in the pool with Michael Phelps and Katie Ledecky, what place are you fighting for? <laughs> <laughs> like, I finished, yay! Right? So would there be a gap between your finish time and Michael and Katie's finish time? And, and it would be a subst like a substan... And, and I'm not... Please understand, I'm not trying to be offensive in any way, shape, or form to three of them. You, there's some bravery to stand up in front of, you know, 50 people and, and say that I, I swim. Uh, but there would be a gap between, right? Okay. So let's... Let's talk about canonicity for a second. So if you look at the evidence for canonicity for all of the books in the New Testament, and you arrange them in order of like, this is the strongest amount of evidence there is, all the way down to the weakest level of evidence. Right? The strongest level of evidence would be the Michael Phelps. The weakest would be the Katie Ledecky. The next closest would be one of you three. Second Peter is Katie Ledecky. So while it is the weakest of those in the list, it is still, no offense guys, <laughs> substantially more significant than anything that is next. Does this make sense? You guys with me? All right, have a seat. So let's talk for a second about why people, why people kind of question this just a little bit. All right. If you read First Peter, and then you read Second Peter, you will think, were these written by the same person? 
because they have a different flavor. They have a different style. First Peter is uh, about as smooth and polished and refined as you get in the New Testament. And Second Peter, you just heard, right? It is. It's a bit choppy and it's it's jerky a little bit and it's really really strong and then it eases up uh, and it's a different style. And and I would argue that it's a different style because they have a different purpose, right? And those of you that have ever communicated, sometimes what you can do is you can speak a different way for a different audience. So Luke, I'm going to ask you a question, okay? You ready? Has your mother ever, is your mother in the room today? Yeah. Has she ever been nice to you? Yeah. All right. Good. <laughs> you had to look at confirmation, but that's okay. Has, has your mom ever spoken to you like sternly, like where you thought she might've been angry? Okay. Does, does it feel differently when she speaks nice to you and when she speaks angry to you? Okay. How old are you, Luke? Eleven. An eleven-year-old understands this. All right. So let's not challenge it, because you didn't think, like, I have two moms. That's weird. That's exactly right. There we go. Okay. Uh, so, Mom, I'm going to ask you a couple questions. When you are nice, is it, uh, uh, do you have a different vocabulary than when you are, I'm not talking about those words, I'm just talking about, <laughs> don't hear what I'm not saying, guys, I didn't say that. But there's a different vocabulary, right? Yes, Peter has a different vocabulary in First Peter than in Second Peter. There's a whole bunch of words that show up in Second Peter that don't show up anywhere else in the Bible. Like, this is the only time they show up in the entire Bible. And people go, well, Peter couldn't have written that because how would he have known? He was a fisherman. Okay. He was a fisherman when he was like 18. Just to put your thinking caps on here for a second. Did you learn anything from the time you were 18 in the next, oh, I don't know, 40 years? Just a little bit, right? Give the man an opportunity to grow. (laughs) Okay. Now, when we look at his life in the Gospels, and we see he's 18 or 20 or 25 or 30, whatever age you think he is, he's still a young man. Uh, we do not see an overly refined, articulate uh, spokesman. However, at Pentecost, we see an amazing orator who the Holy Spirit has filled in a way that radically changed Christianity in the church. And it was beautiful. So not only give Peter a little bit of space, give the Holy Spirit a little bit of space to work on and refine and hone this fisherman to the point where he can deliver messages like this. Does this sound fair? Awesome. Cool. All right. So we're going to move on past the canonicity. Now, when, one more real quick question. Did, when I read Second Peter, did it sound familiar at all? What did it sound familiar to it sounded familiar to like a lot of it sounded familiar to Jude, right? A whole bit, yes, because there is a little bit of that. We'll talk about that as we go through as well. So our schedule for Second Peter, uh, tentative-ish. We're looking at uh, today. We're going to look at the first four verses, and probably by the end of October we will finish up. So just a few verses each week. Uh, this works out very well. It's a nice speed, and away we go. So today we're looking at the first four verses. This greeting the faithful. So we've got from verse 1 all the way down through the end of verse 4. 
And if you, if you look at the second page in your handout there, if we answer the question, are there any literary or structural observations? Well, what's the structural observation in today? We're starting a what? Yeah, it's the, this is the greeting, right? It's the, it, uh, it's the letter. Uh, and a lot of modern commentators actually think it's closer to an early sermon than a letter because it follows the sermon structure better than a letter structure. But from our perspective, it's, it's a letter. It's fine. Uh, but I also want you to notice the use of uh, hendiasis. Uh, hendiatus. And in, you may, uh, this was a new word for me this last couple of weeks, hendiatus. Anybody heard this word before? It, uh, H-E-N-D-I-A-D-Y-S. Hendiatus. And the idea here is that if you have a single idea, a single expression uh, expressed by two different words, okay? So when you hear the phrase, oh, it was nice and calm, you don't think that it was nice, no, it's pleasant, and, da, 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 and that it was calm. No, no, no. In your brain, that's all run together, and it's, oh, yeah, everything was just, everything's good. Does this make sense? And Peter does this a lot throughout Second uh, Peter. He does it with life and godliness, uh, great and precious, glory and virtue. Uh, people argue whether grace and peace is one. I would argue that it is because it's such a common greeting. Uh, and that's just in the first four verses. So Jude loves groups of threes. Peter loves groups of twos. So be on the lookout for these combined words uh, that uh, kind of mean a brand new thing when you join them together. So let's look at the most repeated words in Peter. So there and them and they, 42, a lot of, we're talking about a lot of folks on the outside of the camp, right? And then you and yours, so a lot of contrasting. He and him, a lot of looking up to the Lord, a lot of us, our we. Uh, and then that next one, the, the first blank there is will, W-I-L-L. Uh, Peter is not a wishy-washy communicator. There's a whole lot of this will occur. This will occur. This will occur. Very clear, direct language. Um, Lord, I, my, day, Jesus. And the next word, next blank there is no. K-N-O-W. No, knowing, known, knows. And then knowledge shows up a lot. So there's a, a tremendous amount about what you have in your brain uh, as well as what you're actually living out. This living out of righteousness. This living out of uh, activity. So then we'll transition just a bit to the most repeated words in this text, in verses 1 through 4. So we see us and our, Jesus Christ, divine, given God, him, his, uh, and then the blank is knowledge. We see the word knowledge show up twice here. And that's going to be significant for us as we go through today's text. So let's look at what do the words mean. So verse 1, Simon, it means hearkening, and then Peter is a rock. That's Petrus, it's a... Uh, so Simon Peter, a bondservant, this is a doulos, this is a slave. Uh, it's a standard word for slave in the New Testament. It's an apostle. This is one of his titles that he had. Uh, this is officially commissioned by Jesus Christ. This is The only way you get to be an, an apostle is if you saw the resurrected Jesus Christ. Uh, and you could testify to that, and you were commissioned to go and to spread the gospel on behalf of Jesus. So is anybody in the room an apostle? No. Are there apostles today? No, there are not. Uh, there are billboards that say that there are apostles, uh, but there are not apostles. So, 
Sorry. Just because you gave Fairway $100 does not make it true. So uh, that was probably rude, but it's still true. Uh, Simon Peter, a bondservant and an apostle of Jesus. And Jesus shows up a lot in Second uh, Peter of Jesus Christ. So those who have obtained or to determine or to, uh, your next blank is to cast lots. This is one of those extremely rare words in the New Testament. Uh, and the idea here is that, um, uh, that you got this by casting lots, which is interesting. And we're going to explore this a little bit more next week. But I want you to churn on that for a week or so and think through what that might be talking about. To those who have obtained like precious faith, this like precious is of equal value. And faith is the piece, this, the, this idea of um, uh, persuasion, this uh, belief, this faith, fidelity. And uh, so like precious faith with who? Us. Who's the us? Who's writing? Peter. That's with Peter and the other apostles, right? So here's what's really cool. To those who've obtained like precious faith with us. So he's writing to people who are not apostles, and he's saying, Your faith is like our faith. Your faith is of equal value to our faith which is pretty awesome. Because in the kingdom of God, there are no second-class citizens. You're either a child or you're not. You're either in the family or you are not. There's no distinction between believers. So, like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. So I want to make sure we understand something here. There is a single definite article. This is the green text. This is from uh, Rogers and Rogers, the linguistic and exegetical key to the New Greek Testament. Uh, that's the footnote at the bottom, sorry. Yeah. The, uh, we have footnotes now, Stacy. You like that? I'll let you grade my uh, footnoting ability here in a little bit. So. There you go. Awesome. So if you have uh, one article and two nouns uh, in Greek, what this means is this is one person. So don't read this as with us by the righteousness of our God, as in God the Father, and our Savior Jesus Christ. That is not what's going on. This is God and Savior Jesus Christ in one person. Okay? You can say what you want, but Peter believed that Jesus was God. You know why, Luke? Jesus was God. Because <laughs> there were things that he saw that there was no other explanation for. Like literally no other way to explain this. Like Jesus is God. So, Verse 2, grace and peace. Grace and peace. So grace is this, this uh, graciousness, this uh, divine influence on the heart. And then peace, this bringing things together at one again, be multiplied this is the optative mood. This is the idea that there's a, a hope here that this occurs. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge. And this word is epinosis. This is full discernment. Full is your next blank. The epinosis of God. So we want to have a full discernment, a full understanding of God. Would that, do you think, be beneficial to us? 
Yes. Do you think that this is possible on the earth today, to have a full understanding of God? No, which I believe is why Peter put it in the optative mood, that this is something that I am hoping and wishing for, but probably not going to happen, right? Uh, and of Jesus, our Lord. Now, this would be uh, God the Father, and then now we're talking about Jesus. The Greek is different here. As his divine, his theos, uh, power, uh, and where is Andrew? Andrew is not here today. This is the actual dunamis. So we've been dancing around dunamis for a while. This is dunamis right here, okay? So that your blank here is work. Uh, this is the miraculous power, this mighty work that God and God alone does. Uh, there's a fantastic quote here from Big that I have in my notes. Um, and uh, A.T. Robertson's quoting his commentary. He says, dunamis in this epistle and the dunamis of Christ is the sword with which St. Peter holds over the heads of the false teachers. That's a bold word right there. <laughs> this power of God is what Peter is going to use to execute truth and just statements about these false teachers. And also, by the way, one day it is the power that God himself will use to judge eternally uh, all those that are false teachers. So his divine power has given to us a few things. Steve says, is that what your text says? His divine power has given to us a few things that pertain to life and godliness. How much? No, no, no. Mine says a few. It's just a few things, right? Just, just, no, not at all? No, everything. That's right. All things. Everything that pertains to life. And this is just, this is Zoe. This is the word for life. The generic word for life. And godliness. This is our ability to live out a holy life. So for a Christian to be alive and to be godly, as God has called them to do, the dunamis of God has delivered this for us. All of it. Which is good. Which means there's not something else that I need other than God. Through the knowledge, again, this is epinosis again, this is this full discernment, your next blank, of him who called us. Who called Peter? Jesus called Peter. What was Peter doing when Jesus called him? He was fishing. That's right. There's no G on that word. He was fishing. <laughs> Sorry, Dave. <laughs> I read next going to come out. It's okay. So Peter actually got to experience a personal call of Jesus. But we do too. Because the invitation of Christ extends to all. So to us, all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. And if you look back on Jesus' life, you would definitely see glory and virtue. By which we have been given. And this is the uh, perfect tense. So this is completed action with the results continuing. By which we have been given exceedingly great and precious promises. Now, I've got a question for you real quick. How many of you have seen the movie The Meg? Have you seen, seen Meg yet? It's the movie about the shark. Yes? Yes. Well done. Excellent. Thank you. How do you spell Meg? M-E-G. That's your blank. That's the part of the Greek word there. You know what it means? Huge. 
Like, huger than huge. The hugest. Because if you look at the trailers for this movie, oh my goodness! Yes, uh, I keep trying to get my son to go with me to see this movie, and he just, he didn't want to go. Uh, so you feel my pain here. All right. Generationally invert, inverted, but Luke, you want to go? Nice. What are you doing this afternoon? Oh, so the right answer would have been going to see the Meg with you, Jim. All right, we'll see if we can hook that up. So how does, how does Peter use this word? What's the context here? These huger than huge, these massive, these enormous, these gigantic promises. That's awesome. Peter picked the biggest word that he knew to describe the promises that God has made. That's pretty fantastic. And this is at the end of his life when he's had his whole life to think about it. He's churned over this a few times, right? I got to think he would have liked the movie The Meg too. It's about fishing, right? I mean, exceedingly great and precious or valuable or costly promises that through these you may be partakers. Koinonos, sharer is your blank. You may be a sharer of the divine nature. Now this is not, this does not mean you're going to be a God one day, right? This means we are going to get benefit from God's divine nature. We share in the output of this, which is uh, exceptionally wonderful. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, because that's what he does, he makes sure that we are not corrupted because we are his. So application, what's the point? Number one, all believers are on equal faith footing. Faith footing. You like that? I like that. If you are a child of God, God looks at your faith the same way he looks at Peter's. Take that one to the bank. You're going to take that one better to, to a location better than the bank one day. <laughs> it needs better work. But God has said that it will. So rejoice. what do you do with that? Rejoice that we are not second-class children. I don't know if you've ever been treated in a second-class way in your life or not. It is not enjoyable. But God does not believe that we are, nor does he treat us that we are. And that is good. Application number two, Jesus is God. Make sure that we are abundantly and exceedingly clear with this point. So what do we do about that? Number two, testify that Jesus is God. And know your Bible. Know when your Bible says, this is where Jesus says, the Bible says Jesus is God. This is helpful information to know. So when people who corrupt the Bible, who are false teachers, who knock on your door with a perversion uh, and try to convince you of something otherwise, that you can say, no, no, the Bible says that Jesus is God. So let's be well armed with the, with the word. Uh, application number three, we have all we need. All. So trust him. Not trust in... Uh, our academics or our commentaries or our helps or anything else, trust Him. And the number four, God protects His own. So rejoice that He will not allow us to be corrupted. It's what He does. And I am glad. So that's the first four verses of Second Peter. Next week we're going to be looking at verses 5 through 11. 
your homework is listed there. Ask the Holy Spirit for help. Read next week's text multiple times in multiple ways. Talk to somebody, share, uh, and then invite a member. Uh, for extra credit, you've got a link there to go to the uh, Bible Project video on Second Peter. Uh, it's a good little video. Uh, it takes about as long to read Second Peter as it does to watch the video. And God help us if we use helps more than we go to the actual word itself. Please go straight to the source first. If you're going to do one or the other, read Second Peter or watch the video, read Second Peter. And if you have some more time, then watch the video. But let's make sure that we do things in order. Uh, you can go to our Sunday School uh, Facebook page and share. You can subscribe to make sure you get all the material for our Sunday School class. Uh, and then now it is time for our prayer time. So if you've got the little weekly update on your table, uh, if you will look at the prayer requests on the left-hand side of the page, on the right-hand side of the page, uh, and check to make sure those are up to date. And if you will pray over those, add any new ones on the left. Uh, and then after your table has prayed, you are dismissed to go worship the one and only who is God. And that is Jesus. So thanks for coming to Sunday School today, guys. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and to our weekly email. You can do both at OurSundaySchool.com.